When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 229. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show, Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in. This is the show where we focus on the topic of leadership. We highlight leaders. We bring them on the show. We have authentic conversations with them. Why? Because it's important for every single one of us because leadership impacts every single aspect of our life. You know, a lot of times we think it's about gaining some position or trying to get a bunch of people to follow you or having all these big ideas. And the reality, what it's all about is adding value to other people's lives, selflessly adding value to other people's lives. You know, it's not about necessarily attaining a position, though leadership does demand that sometimes. It does demand that you lead. It demands that you do what's right. It doesn't mean you necessarily gain a consensus, you know. Leadership isn't necessarily about consensus. I know a lot of people say that out there, but I am looking for people who are going to courageously do what's right regardless of what the status quo is, what what the popular thing is to do. It's about doing the right thing. And man, oh man, do we need more of that. And man, oh man, that's the type of leader that I want to be. And hopefully that's what you're striving to be too. Someone that is courageously authentic. Someone that is wants to do the right thing regardless of what the rule, the process, the law, the popular opinion. You know, too often I think we strive for consensus and we water things down. We water what's the right thing to do. I would much rather follow a leader who's compassionate, believes what they believe in, and sticks to their guns, even if I didn't necessarily agree with them, than someone that's always kind of shifting with the wind and trying to maintain the popular path. So that's kind of my thought for the day on leadership, and I hope you're finding some value in Dose of Leadership. Please, before we continue on, I just ask you, if you find some value, take the time to subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, subscribe to it, take it on your mobile device, and leave that rating and review. It means so much, and it helps so much for the visibility of the show. And again, thanks so much. And drop me a line. Check out my new website, my rebranded personal website, richardryerson.com. You can learn more about me and all of my speaking, coaching, and uh, leadership training, and learn a little bit more about me. Drop me a line there or at doseofleadership.com on the contact uh, tab. Or send me a direct email at richard at doseofleadership.com. Let me know where you're at in your journey. Well, I'm pleased today to bring Dov Barron on the show. I've been wanting to have him on for quite some time. We kind of, I can't remember which guest recommended it to me almost a year and a half, two years ago. And I reached out. It just didn't work. And finally, we put it together. And I was so glad to have him on the show. You know, he is my favorite um, 
thought leader when it comes to authenticity. We talk about it a lot in the show. If you listen to the show, you know it's one of my favorite topics and how to be vulnerable. There's great strength and vulnerability. Dov really is, in my opinion, one of the, the, the premier guys that really understands this topic. He's got a great book out there called Fiercely Loyal, How High-Performing Companies Develop and Retain Top Talent. And we talk about it extensively on this uh, on this show, on this conversation. And he gets it. You know, he understands, you know, it's a lot of times, and he's worked with a lot of top leaders, a lot of top CEOs, thought leaders, business leaders. He's named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership speakers that you can hire. I agree. I think he's one of the leading authorities on authentic leadership. He calls it full Monty leadership. I love his thought process. I love his passion. I love his opinion. He's a very, again, one of those leaders who tells you what he believes and he sticks to it. And I appreciate and I love his authenticity and I love his boldness. And I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So check out all the links so you can connect with him. But here, without further ado, is Dov Barron. Well, Dov, I'm so excited. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me to be part of your very honorable uh, guest list. And uh, I want to thank you, but I also want to thank all of your listeners, your viewers who are tuning in, because I think it's important for us to acknowledge them, that you take the time out of your busy day, we're all busy, to actually pay attention. And, you know, when you really consider what is happening here, that, that Richard puts together these great guests for you to take the time to make sure that you get really high quality guests. And we were just having a conversation before we went live about how he's getting really picky about who he puts in front of you. And you really have to honor that and really pay attention to that. So I suggest that you turn off your email, turn off your phones, get a pen and paper. I hope to deliver some real gems for you that will make a difference for you and your leadership. And I know that Richard is dedicated to that. Matt, I love that. Thank you for that. those words. Dov, I mean, you know, you've been at this for, as a man from an outsider looking in. I love what you've done. I've uh, been following you for, you know, three to four years. I'm passionate about leadership. You're extremely passionate about it. We talk about authenticity a lot on this show and vulnerability. It comes up all the time. And you're, to me, the preeminent expert when we talk about that. Talk to me why that's so important to you. I mean, has, that, has authenticity and vulnerability always been kind of at forefront to you? Or did something happen that kind of brought that to the forefront? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> so yes, it has always been really important to me. And yes, something brought it to the forefront. You know, Richard, if you and I were to do a survey, uh, you know, a survey of all of your listeners who are interested in leadership and ask them, are you authentic? What do you think they would get? What do you think response would be would get? I think most people would say that they, they, don't, they don't consciously try to be inauthentic, right? But I mean... So- but so most of them would say yes. Yeah, they are. They would. And, and, and in truth, I would have said yes too um, mm-hmm. pre-1990. I would have definitely said yes. You see, I think that we are authentic in the context of what we know the depth to be. So the, the analogy that I give is if you are standing in a pool that at one end is three feet and at the other end is ten feet and you're standing in the three-foot end facing the, the edge – and I say to you, are you at maximum depth where you're standing? And the answer is yes. My feet is on the bottom and the water's three feet high. So I am at maximum depth. Now, is there more depth? Yes, but you don't know about that. Right. It's not real for you. Right. So authenticity is actually about being real with where you're at at the moment. But the key piece is the vulnerability to, self in, to self-inquire, to begin to, to willing to discover 
the greater depths that you don't know about yet. So yes, we're all, not all, but most people are authentic to the level of their capacity, but that's not the truth of authenticity. Authenticity is actually about an evolution. It's about evolving ourselves deeper and deeper into the understanding of who we are. So how do we get there? I mean, I love what you just said there. You're absolutely right. The self-awareness is so critical. I mean, and a lot of times we think we're self-aware, but really not. How do we get there? Does it have to be a splat moment? or how, What is the intentionality to, to <laughs> well, get there? there right? It does if you're me. Yeah, but same with me, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, for, for some of us uh, like me, uh, I'm a little thick, and so I needed it in a very major way. For those of you who don't know, in June 1990, uh, by, at that time I was an adrenaline junkie. I did all kinds of adrenaline sports, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and including free climbing. And in June 1990, I was free climbing in British Columbia. And about 12 stories up, about 120 feet, I reached for a rock. Now, free climbing means I had no ropes. Nothing, right? Nothing. No anything. I reached for a rock. It dislodged a bigger rock that, bam, hit me in the face ah. and knocked me down uh, all the way to the bottom. And Man. I did not land on grass. I landed on solid rocks, not even little tiny rocks, but boulders. And smash me wide open. And as I said, prior to that, I would have said I was absolutely authentic. I would have believed that. But that that breaking open, if you will, you know, I say I fell 120 feet from a self-imposed pedestal and landed on an e- on my ego. That's what got broken open, and that forced me to self-examine. And you should know that I had been on the journey of self-examination, self-discovery for many, many years before that. For, so what was I? I was 32. So that was, I'd already been doing it for 13 years, like, very actively. But that, again, that depth of inquiry that comes, and once you break that open, and I think everybody has falls. You've had yeah. one, I've had mm-hmm. one. Uh, people have divorces, they have heart attacks, they have all kinds of falls, sickness, but I think that the problem is that we have falls and we do what I tried to do. And that is we try to get back. I spent the first 18 months crying, pleading, praying, doing whatever I could just, you know, to get back. And it was one day about 18 months into it, I found myself in the fetal position hmm. on my living room floor, weeping, not crying, weeping. And suddenly got it. There is no back. There's only forward. You can't put Humpty Dumpty together again. (laughs) It's done. Mm -hmm. So you either rebuild or you stay a victim the rest of your life. One of my quotes is, you either identify yourself by by the things that knocked you down or you identify yourself by the things you got up from. It's the same event. And I think that that's a point of where we're forced into self-inquiry. But I don't think you have to do that. But there's a, there's a, there's a trap, and the trap is the ego. And the ego mind, as you know, I have a big background in psychology. The ego mind is very locked into safety. So the same is safe. Right. Therefore, change is threatening. And so, yeah, I know I need to self-inquire, but it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Those four words are the most dangerous words <laughs> you'll ever say in your own head. Right. They're dangerous. They keep you stuck. And so you self-inquire, but you, you, just a little bit. Just a itty bit, but not really digging in. So how much of it, I mean, gosh, so much of what you're saying resonates with, with, with my journey and so many people that I know, particularly men. I think I, the ego can be a healthy thing, but so no pun intended, but prior to the splat moment, and when I talk these splat moment, mm-hmm. we all got to get there. It was so ego driven. And now what is driving it now? What, what, what's well, the driver? Uh, There's a great question. I'll tell you why, because, um, 
when I got to that place where, like I said, the weeping on the floor, um, I had a lot of self-discovery. I looked at myself in a much deeper way and I looked at what was motivating me, what was driving me to be everything that I've been. Now, you should know that in 1990, I was already a successful speaker. Right, right. I, I already would, I'd spoken all over Australia, all over Canada, most of the US. I was doing really well. TV, radio, newspapers. I was doing great. Um, so I had all the success and I had to look at what was driving that. And when I realized what was driving it, I went, that's it. I can't write books anymore. I've already written books. can't write books. can't work one-on-one -on -one with clients mentoring anymore. That's done. And I can't be a speaker anymore because I get the motivation sucks where I'm coming from. It's totally unhealthy. It has to stop. And so it stopped. And about a year and a half later, there I am doing it. And my friend says to me, hold on a sec. You said you couldn't speak anymore. You couldn't write anymore. You couldn't work one-on-one. -on -one. Are you doing it? Have you, you know, did you find your way back or are you just full of shit? <laughs> and I said, uh, neither. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I said, it looks the same, doesn't it? And he goes, it looks exactly the same. I said, but it's where I come from right. that's different. It's, it's not what you do. It's the intent behind it. Right. We've all had something done for us by somebody who you feel the strings that are attached. And you've had somebody who's done something very similar for you with completely open heart. And it's vastly different. And that was the difference for me. I had to change where I was coming from with what it was about. And that, that changed everything. So it was no longer about me. It was yeah. no longer about my ego. It was no longer about me being that significant. Now, when I say no longer, let me clarify that. I am not egoless. Of course it's about me. I still stand on stages and speak all over the world and I still love the applause. Don't get me wrong. And I'll be very grateful if you stand and give me a round of applause. Yes. But that's not what gets me up there. Yeah. What gets me up there is something completely different. But before... I didn't realize it. That's exactly what was getting me up there. Yeah, I can find. I can certainly relate. I know, it, you know, prior to my splat moment too. I think I found myself. It's almost like I I needed to validate my self worth through those activities, and so it became like a vicious cycle, like an approval addict cycle. I'm I'm seeking this approval to validate my self worth because in reality, is I didn't really like who I was, even though on the outside and the surface, people looking at me, wow, he's so successful. I'm getting all this 40 under 40, yada, yada, yada. I still felt like crap on the inside, right? I didn't yeah. like who I was. And I think now I get it too. And I didn't want to do speaking or anything like that too afterwards because I did, I was afraid of my ego, but yep. I, I think I hear what you're saying is like, now it comes from a place of adding value to others and really not expecting anything in return. The applause and the, and the, adulation would be nice and when you do get it i think what i'm hearing you say it's a gift that you you accept and then you let it go right yeah yeah but but again all of this so all of this i'd like to pay attention everybody to pay attention to is everything we're saying here everything you're learning in this moment everything you've learned your entire life your ego learned yeah and so it will use all of that same stuff on you so you know i hear people say and it's so common people say you know it's about authenticity and they don't know a damn thing about authenticity. Mm -hmm. It's about vulnerability. Meanwhile, they stand on stage and they share some faux vulnerability. You know, right. it's not even right. real. It's like some plastic sushi food. It's not real. But, but it sounds vulnerable, but they're not emotionally connected to it. They, they talk about, you know, it's about being of service, but they don't really know what that means. They just know that's the right thing to say. Yeah. Um, and, and, and am I shitting on uh, speakers? Yeah, I am. I, I don't mind doing that in my industry because I think we've got to raise the standard. I do think we've got to really raise the standard. And, and I hold myself to that too. So I think that it's, 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 there's a demand 
And, and I actually love it. And it's set forth by millennials who are demanding a lot more vulnerability. Social media has done this to us. The, the, the reality TV, which I dislike intensely, has done that. It's turned the voyeur in us mm-hmm. on. It's flipped that switch, as Gary Vaynerchuk said. It's flipped that switch. And in so doing, it's called us all to be a lot more real. And they want that. So when your audience sits in the audience, they're no longer, they don't need your information. Right. Fa- look, look, mate, you and I are both speaking about leadership. What can they, in the facts that we deliver, what can they not get off Google? Right. They can get it all. Yeah. They, they can get more information than they could possibly cope with. They're not there for that. That's just part of it. Yes, we've got to deliver some gems. We've got to give some real strategies. Of course, we've got to do that. But what matters more is who we are when we show up. And, and I challenge people to say, not just show up on the platform, but in your life mm-hmm. as a boss, as a leader, as a husband, as a wife, as a partner, as a dad, as whatever it is. And that's, that's a challenge. It is a challenge. Let's talk a little bit about that because I've had some discussions with some CEOs and some other people when I talk about this, this idea of vulnerability and I see them kind of recoil and come back and they're like, uh, you know, you can't, there's no room for that. There's no crying in mm-hmm. baseball. There's none of that. And I'm not say asking people to show up crying, but I guess it's almost like, to me, it's a difference of at least being human. They don't need to know all my dirty laundry, what's going on in my life. I don't need to share that, hey, I just got to fight with my, my spouse, and this is what we talked about, and I'm really bothered by this and that. But you can certainly say, hey, look, to me, vulnerability is like, look, my mind's not in the right space right now. Um, having some challenges at, at home. I need your help with this. I know we can this and that. Is is that being vulnerable? I mean, where's the line t- to you? What, what do you think? You know, I hear that question all the time. It's, it's a great question because I hear all the time from the CEOs and, and C-suite leaders that I work with. Well, where is the line? Mm-hmm. Well, the line is whining. Yeah. That's the line. If yeah. you're whining about shit and you're not doing something about it, that's not vulnerability. That's whining. Right. So vulnerability requires action. True vulnerability is partnered with accountability. Yeah. So, and so the accountability. So let's use that analogy you just gave. So I've got my team. Let's say I'm the CEO. I've got my team in front of me. I go, listen, lads. Head's not in the right place right now. Just had a really big scrap with my missus. Um, you know, she means the world to me. And, it, you know, it's thrown me off my game. We're dealing with a challenge here. The challenge is X, Y, and Z. And you know, having thought about it, that fight I just had with my wife, one of the things she pointed out to me was this. And I'm thinking that that might be the problem we're having here. Maybe I'm in the way with this. I'm vulnerable about my, my faults, the things that are in the way in my personal life. Because the truth is, we've, we've, the, the illusion that we've tried to run is that who I am professionally and who I am personally are different. Right. They're not. Yes. Right. What you do is what you do. So the shit you're doing with your missus or your husband or whoever it is, is the stuff you're doing at work. You're playing out the same gig. Now you've got more authority. You can get away with stuff at work that you can't get away with your partner because your partner will call you out on it. Right. But it's, you know, so listen, pay attention because it's probably the same pattern. And if you show up with that level of vulnerability, everybody's going to humanize you. Mm-hmm. They're not going to see that everybody's afraid. They're going to come off the pedestal, but what's going to happen is you're going to get humanized. And when you get humanized, people bond to you. The number one thing missing in corporate organizations. I know I work with them is a bond. They think that people are bonded because they take them out and do team games. <laughs> right. No, that's not that half of that stuff actually destroys the bond. Yeah. Creating the bond with people is an emotional connection. 
And that only happens when you have vulnerability plus accountability. So in that furthering that conversation, it's like, I might be doing the same thing here. Let's look at this. Let's look at it from this place because you guys might be able to help me actually be a better partner with my partner, with my wife, Mm -hmm. as well as a better boss, a better leader. I love that because by by sharing that, like you said, you become approachable. And I think that's what you hear so often. You think, well, and we do it unconsciously, consciously sometimes think I have a certain image to fill. Granted, right? You got a certain level of standards you have to do, but at the same time, you have to be completely approachable. And I think you just got to be, it sounds so simple, but it's difficult to be real. And it's, it's, it's crazy that we even have to say that. It's like, why is it so hard to be Simple, it's not easy. Yeah. And and the reason it's not easy is because, particularly in our industry, you know, as a leader in whatever it is you're doing, you're conditioned not to show vulnerability. You've been trained for generations that that's not okay. Yep. I did a survey. Uh, what is it? Uh, I was doing the survey for my new book, Fiercely Loyal. Yeah. I was doing a survey for this. And so I asked, and I asked leaders. I put this thing out for leaders, and I asked leaders from all over, um, what is vulnerable leadership? Just tell me what that is. I only got two negative responses. Everybody else was either neutral or positive. Hmm. The two I got were from men over 60. <laughs> and one of them described it as a woman's anatomy. Oh, my gosh. Right? If, if that's the kind of leader you are, then, then you're a woman's anatomy. It was like, wow. Man. And, and so, you know, if that person is, is your leader, well, you know what? We, we model so you become a leader who follows that path. And so you're the same kind of, you know, command and control. Mm-hmm. And we all know command and control does not work mm-hmm. anymore. Even the military is starting to change some of that. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Right? And if the military are doing it, mm-hmm. you, you know, we really should pay attention. You know, that's, because that's command and control at its max. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, that's one thing I loved about the Marine Corps. And again, of course, I'm biased towards the Marine Corps. That's what I came from. But sure. that's what I learned. You know, I went into it, and it's certainly a journey, and everybody kind of goes thinking it's it's all about command and control. But I saw some – the leaders that I would literally fall through the gates of hell were so authentic and vulnerable to the point of – you know, and the love that emanated from them when they talked about the people that were under their their steed or that they were accountable for. It was just awe-inspiring. Just, I yeah. mean, love. It was – I can't describe it any other way, but, like, immense love. And, you know, uh, I've spoken to, to several people like yourself who've been in the military who are now successful outside of the military, and every one of them had those kinds of commanders. Mm-hmm. Every right. one of them mm-hmm. had those kinds of commanders. And my whole thing is around the bond. And, I, and you know, the analogy I give is, is think about uh, a special group, you know, some special ops group having to go somewhere and do something, right? They get dropped off the helicopter into a rubber dinghy. And they get into the rubber dinghy, there's five of them. One of them goes, oh, I'm not paddling. Why? Well, I paddled yesterday. That ain't going to happen. They get to the shore, and then they, they have to unload the gear, and everybody has to strap gear on and carry it for t- two or three miles. And they're all soaking wet. One of them goes, well, I'm not doing that. Why? I've already done my time. Isn't it overtime now? <laughs> These things are never going to happen. Why? Because they're bonded as a unit. And every man understands, every woman, every, every person understands that we are a unit. And that's what leadership is. It's about creating that unified bond where there's something that matters more than my ego. There's a purpose a meaning that's greater. And so few leaders understand that. There are some who are doing a fantastic job, but so few. 
And when I come in, that's the first thing that rattles them. I go, you know, we got to create this bond. Well, how's that going to happen? Vulnerability and accountability. Well, yes, that's right for our people. No, you. You, yeah. So how, do, how does that, someone who's so stuck in their ways, how do they begin to change? What, did, what can they do immediately? Because in, in, the reality is you can probably do something and start seeing some immediate results. What would you suggest that they do? Um, the first thing that I take them through is a series of questions to help them identify their own ego. Mm. So that's the first thing is identifying what is true versus what is ego true. Mm-hmm. So they say, well, you know, if I'm going to appear weak if, I, if I'm vulnerable. Okay, so give me an example of where you've done that. And very often it's silence. Yeah, right. I can imagine. Yeah. I haven't done it. I just know. Okay, then you're willing to say that that's, that's true, yes. And you're willing to say you know, yes, based on what? You see, if you say there's gravity and I say, okay, how do you know? Well, I fell out of a tree when I was a kid. Okay, good. I believe you. There's evidence. What's your evidence that vulnerability is weakness? And sometimes somebody comes up with it. And I go, okay, now let's take context. Who were you vulnerable with? Were you vulnerable with somebody who was a douchebag? Were you vulnerable <laughs> with somebody who was looking to take you down? Because that's a different gig again. So there's not, there's, not, there's not only the belief system, but there's the context. And these things are so often like, so we want to make these broad stroke rules and say, vulnerability is bad. No, it's not. Do I think that you should have discernment in your vulnerability? Absolutely. Absolutely. But once you've done that discernment, you've got you to gotta get your ego out of the way. And, and so what I just say is, here's the thing. Let's, you know, we'll find a situation, and we always do, where you can be vulnerable. Let's put it in action and watch what happens. If it doesn't work, and I'll guide you through every step, if it doesn't work, then we can look for another approach. It's always, always, always worked. And when I say worked, beyond what they imagined. Yeah. Because they actually get them to design. Okay, what's the best possible outcome? We go this and this is. We do it, and it's better. Right. Okay. Now you have evidence, so you can't say that's true because you don't have any evidence. This you have evidence for, so it's true. Yeah. The ego is a powerful thing. I don't know. I, I still find myself afraid of you. Are you afraid of your ego at all? I mean, I mean you've made a lot of progress, know. I'm sure. I don't know. I find myself <laughs> I afraid of I don't know if it. I'm afraid of it. I'm certainly cautious of it. Yeah. And I'm certainly aware, um, as I said, that it's learned everything I've learned, and so it will use my own crap on me. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> But you're not really being egoistic, you know. <laughs> Just after all, look at how much how much studying you've done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever. <laughs> so I, I'm aware that it uses my stuff on me, that it's learned everything yeah. I learn. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm cautious of it. Um, I happen to, you know, one of the ways around it for me, and I believe that this is useful for anybody, is I happen to be married to somebody who's an extremely powerful, strong woman who will challenge me on anything mm. and, you know, I need that. I need a partner who's my equal. That's first of all. She's my business partner as well. We work together in corporations. Um, so that's one. But the other thing is I always have mentors. Yeah. And I think that leaders who don't have mentors, you know, you're riding your ego. Yeah. You've got to have people who are guiding you, people you can go to and go, listen, I'm struggling with this. What What is your guidance? Yeah, it's almost like kind of like – there's no egos in, when when I go fly. I say there's no egos in the cockpit, right? If you and I are flying together, I don't care how I'm coming across, how smart, stupid, aloof, or much of a jerk that I am. Don't let me land with my gear up. You know, you're obligated. It's not your right to challenge me. It's your obligation to challenge me. That's kind right. of the way I look at it. Yeah, and you're yeah, absolutely right. Having that mentor that that can challenge you, right? Yeah, and, and because a mentor, 
see, a mentor is vastly different than a coach, and I think yeah. people mix the two up. Mm-hmm. You know, a coach is, is the person to help you find your resources and cheer you on. A mentor is there to create a vision. So you go to the coach with a vision. The difference is a mentor creates a, helps you create a vision that's far bigger than anything you've ever imagined mm-hmm. and, then, and then holds your feet to the fire to get there Yeah, and calls you out every single step of the way. Your mentor is not your buddy. No. Your mentor is the person you, you know, I often say, if you don't hate me at some point in our process, I'm probably not doing my job <laughs> and I'm okay with that, Yeah, right? Because I know that it'll change, the, the feeling about me will change because I'm going to hold you to a picture, an image, a vision of yourself that's far bigger than you've ever imagined. Any advice on how, you know, I know a lot of t- people ask me, how do they find a mentor? What would you say? How do you say, you know, oh, this person probably wouldn't, you know, that's the fear. People, oh, that person probably wouldn't want to waste time with me. Any advice on how to approach a mentor? That's, that's interesting um, because there's, you know, the, again, there's a ton of excuses about why I don't have a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the excuses is I don't have the money. My first answer to that is real simple. Um, how many things have you bought that you didn't have the money for? <laughs> And my guess is a lot. And how much of them, how many of them are actually useful? Right. Probably very few. So you always have the money for what you make important. That's the simplicity of life. We have the money for the things we make important. Um, I uh, last, not this year, last year, year before, uh, I have one mentor who cost me $60,000 a year. That's one of my mentors. Can I afford that? I'm doing okay. But can I afford 60 grand a year for one of my mentors? I have to, yeah, because it's important. So that's number one. Second one is I don't have time. Well, nobody has time. We all have the same 24 hours in a day, and I don't know many people who are busier than I am, so if I can make time, you can, so get over that one. <laughs> Here's the next one. Um, my friends or my family will judge me. They'll think I'm crazy, A, for spending the money, B, for spending the time, and C, for coming up with the new ideas. Here's the news. Uh, your friends and family are not your best friends. They're the people who keep you comfortable. And they are probably going to help you stay stuck. Not because they hate you, not because they're bad people, but because you are part of their unit. And, they, and we get upset when people leave our unit. So you can't really rely on that either. Next one is, well, what if the mentor wouldn't be interested in working with me? I'm a lowly entrepreneur and Dove works with CEOs and <laughs> world-class players, whatever it is. Well, guess what? I work with anybody who can fit my criteria. And what is my criteria? It's not about money. I interview everybody and I pick my clients and I'm looking for something in that person that is fire and drive. Mm -hmm. And if they want it bad enough, then I work with them. And as a result, I've worked with people who actually have jobs, strange as it may be. Um, I've worked (laughs) with people who are CEOs. I've worked with people who are pro athletes, um, who are entrepreneurs and people who are entrepreneurs just starting out. So the, all of it is just excuses inside of your head is my yep. point. Yep. You've got to decide what do I want and how badly do I want it? Because here's the thing. Two things will move us. Pleasure and pain. Those are the two things that will move us. Pleasure will move you short term. Oh, that's really nice. I'm going to go for that. But then it's done. Pain is what moves us long term. It's like, oh, I got to go to, like, I got to get away from this. So one is towards, one is away from. The trap is that when we move away from it, so we, you know, the pain was too much, we move away from it. Now it's not so painful and we, we slow down. In fact, we know psychology shows us that when people get close to their goal, they take the foot off the gas. Yeah. All the time. Yep. So the thing is that what we have to do is we have to do both. 
We have to keep our eye on the goal. That's the, 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 the good stuff that we're excited about. But we have to keep the fire on our ass. We have to keep it the, like, ooh, the, if I slow down, that thing could burn me. I ain't slowing down. That's where I'm going. And so I think complacency, as I said, it's not that bad, is so dangerous. Oh, yeah. For Who's sure. suffering while you're playing small is a question I ask all the time. Oh, and I by the that. way, you're always playing small. Mm-hmm. And people say to me, well, are you playing at full gale? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If I I'm, if I own that for a second, I've already got complacent. Yep. I know I'm not. I love that. I love that. Who who's suffering because you're playing small? Yeah, that we always we never think big enough, do we? We never do. No. You see, but kids, we flip it around and we go, well, who will suffer if I play big? <laughs> That's what we do. That's yeah. what the ego does. See? Right. Who'll suffer if I play big? Well, my wife might be upset. The kids won't have as much time. My best friend might, you know, won't be as comfortable with me because I'm making 100 grand more than he is a year or she is a year. And we start running all that stuff. So we, we ask the wrong question. We go, who's going to suffer if I step up? Instead of saying, who's suffering while I'm playing small? Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. That's my big takeaway for the day. I love that. I'm curious about who your heroes are. If you had the ultimate <laughs> night to you know, invite five people, live or dead, to this ultimate kick-butt dinner party, who would those five people be? My wife. She would definitely be there. Um, Robin Williams. Oh, Robin Williams. I Robin like Williams because... Um, such a compassionate man, right? Just such a genius. Such right? amazing depth of compassion. Mm-hmm. Which I think comes from, from very often from people who've suffered a lot with depression, mm-hmm. you know, who've battled their own demons. They tend to have a lot more compassion for others. Um, so, how many have I got? Five guests? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my wife, Robin Williams, without a doubt, without a doubt, Martin Luther King, who was my original inspiration to be a speaker. That was the person who, who really made me realize that yeah. it's possible to have impact on people you don't even know. That was phenomenal for me. Um, so that that's the first three. Um, I would say after that, um, living or dead, Khalil Gibran. Ooh, educate me. I'm ignorant. What is that? Who's that? Khalil Gibran. So uh, I'll, I'll write it. K-A-H. Um, no, I spelled it wrong. Sorry. Spelling is not my best thing. Khalil Gibran. His book is The Prophet. The Prophet. Okay. Yeah. Um, the prophet is one of my Bibles. Um, I think that people should have Bibles and not necessarily the Bible, but books that are, um, not that are guidance systems, Mm -hmm. the way, way to, for you to awaken something in yourself. Um, Khalil Gibran and, uh, Salvador Dali. Mm. Good choice. Uh, Dali, because he was willing to see the world his way. Right. And um, and challenge the way that people saw it. Uh, after him, if I get a if I get a spare for a cancellation, it would be Tesla. Oh, Nikola that, Tesla. Oh, it would be fun to talk to him. Nikola oh Tesla. Gosh, yeah. And, and uh, the one the reason I would like to talk to him is not because of what most people would think, because um, he was the greatest inventor of mm-hmm. our time, and people don't know that. Yeah, he was. Um, but the reason I would want to talk to him is, how did you make it through? Because he got beaten down oh, really? every possible term. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Edison stole most of his patents. Mm-hmm. We hold Thomas Edison as this amazing man, but he stole most of Tesla's work uh, and boycotted Tesla every possible turn. How did he keep going? 
I know it was a really like the guy did had a really rough end. It was bad at the end. Yeah. But Tesla was like an amazing mind who wanted to f- supply the world with free energy. Yeah. You know. Now, back at the turn of the 20th century, so 1904 or whatever it was, you know, I mean, like, wow. Yeah. Like, you know, people have no concept. So that's kind of my list. That's a great list. I love that. Rob, the, you're the first one that said Robin Williams. I, that He would be fascinating to talk to you, too. I just, yeah. Such a great artist. And, and besides, which when it, yeah, besides which, when it got, just got too heavy, yeah, he would do some, and it would pull <laughs> us all back out of our egos, out of our, out of our intellectual egos, yeah. of all how smart we are. And then, like, make like, you know, make us all get our heads from uh, removed from our anuses. Yeah, oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, the thing that surprised me about Martin Luther King too is like how young he was. You know, you look at pictures of him, you think, here's this 55 year old man. He was in his early 30s. Yeah, yeah. People have no. I mean, I do. Th- I think you're right. I think people, most people, think of him as being much older than he actually was. Yeah, but he was. Uh, he was a powerful, powerful man who, you know. The, the fact that, like, for me, the, the fact that he took on Gandhi's model of peaceful resistance mm-hmm. and willing, I mean, and the people who sat beside him, including himself, took beatings, mm-hmm. took beatings uh, in order to, to have their message. So, and that battle, in my mind at least, that battle is still going on today. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the people are still struggling with that. I mean, we just saw the thing come down with the Confederate flag and, mm-hmm. you know, and the bridge that, uh, they march into Selma has a name on it that you know just like clearly this stuff is still very evident um, and some people say well you know therefore it was a waste no it wasn't it is just an ongoing process and that we've all got to step into a greater level of leadership and leadership is not for me, leadership is not about leading others first. It's about leading yourself yeah. first. I, I so, yeah, you know, it's amazing what you said. It's so true. I found that out just, you know, it's in the last few years of my life, and it's almost even embarrassing to say that, but it's so true. If you seems like the more that I focus on my own development, which is just a constant struggle, that's never, it's, it's, it's a battleground that's never going to stop, you know, and I'm okay with that. I think it's enjoying the fact that and comfortable with the fact that life's a battleground, it's not a playground. And I think a lot of people kind of cringe at that I'm kind of excited by that to be quite honest because I think that's the difference between a professional and an amateur I think the professional knows that you and I each day that we got to slay the dragon every day and even if we we're successful during the day the next day we got to I know that I got to get up and I got to slay some dragons you know and, and you know I think that you know again back to the ego um, the ego is driven by outcomes and so it, the ego is goal driven and, and the assumption of an ending and and the challenge with that is it's incredibly deflating because when you reach that end, you discover there's a new beginning. Right. So if you shift your perspective altogether to go, okay, there is no goal right. that I can reach. It is simply a, a, a milestone. It's not, it's not an end. It's a milestone. And it evolves me to the next place. So I describe it as climbing a mountain. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can always see the top. But as you get to the next level, you realize that ain't the top. <laughs> right. And so you have to stop. And this is really important. So some people are so goal-driven that they're climbing that mountain. And they go, oh, damn, I'm not at the top. And, you know, why aren't I there yet? Why aren't I there yet? And, that, you know, they're exhausted and drained. And there's no, there's no joy left in them because they're so driven for the goal. But there are other people who are on that journey who are totally joy-driven because they go and they go, I'm not there yet, but let's just stop for a minute. Let's just take in the vista. Wow, this is an amazing view. Look how far we've come. And hey, look at how far I've come. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. And look at all these people I've got with me. This is amazing. What a fabulous journey. Let's have a little bit of celebration here, but let's not get it. Let's not get caught here because this is not, this is not, we're not done. And then they climb to the next level. And that is the joy of the journey. I love it. Yeah. I love that. You know, using it's the base camp. What do we do? We recharge, we re-energize, fuel our bodies. Put our arms on each other and say, man, look, isn't this great? Look how far we've come. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, analogy. and sometimes the weather turns on you and you've got to go back to base camp, but it doesn't mean you're done. Right. That's the other thing is that we all get knocked on our ass. Hello? Literally. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or on our heads in my case. Yeah. We get knocked down, but, you know, okay, does that mean you're done? Well, it can, but it doesn't have to. Yeah. Tell me about the book as we're getting closer to the end here. You know, Fiercely mm-hmm. Loyal. T- talk to me a little bit more about it. I know you were talking about it a little bit earlier, but... Talk to me more yeah, about Fiercely it. Loyal, how high-performing companies find, develop, and keep top talent. Number one issue on a, on a global survey on CEOs was keeping top talent. They just can't keep them. And the reason for that is that the new talent, who are the oldest, are 35, 36 years old, which are millennials. So millennials are now 16 to 35 years old. That's Generation Y. And uh, they are motivated by vastly different things. And if we as leaders try to motivate them with the things that we were motivated by, money, status, prestige, corner office, those kinds of things, it just doesn't stick. It sticks, but for a very short period of time. They're driven by very different things. Finding those things, connecting those things to them will create loyalty. That's one level of it. The other level of it is what we were talking about, is the bond with the leader and the bond with the purpose of the organization. If you look onto the um, Fortune 500 from uh, 1959 to 2011, 87% of those companies are gone. Wow. 13% stayed on. Why? How did they manage to do it? They were all purpose-driven organizations. Mm-hmm. All the ones that are gone are not purpose-driven organizations. They were consumed, they were bankrupt, whatever it was. So it's the purpose that matters. So this is not new. But it's new in the workforce, meaning that the workers understand it and the, the balance of power has shifted. And this is another reason that leaders have got to grasp this whole thing around vulnerability. The balance of power has shifted. And if, if the worker doesn't like you as a leader, doesn't believe in what you believe in, doesn't f- feel that you're connected to the purpose and you're in it for yourself and your own ego, they'll walk away. Yeah. They, they have no problem. They, they're not hung up on it. The, the, um, what is it? I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was – my numbers are in my book and you'll have to look it up. But I think it's like 54% of your top people are already looking for another job. Yeah, right. So you better be finding the thing that makes them stick. What is that? Purpose, vulnerability, authenticity, the four Cs, community, collaboration, cooperation, contribution – putting those together, building a core purpose that's an internal core purpose, external core purpose, having solid maxims which are different than values, having a solid battle cry so that people know what it is that they're fighting for, what is the dragon they're going to slay together as as an organization, why do we get out of bed in the morning, if we're not getting out of bed for money and we're not getting out of bed for status, why are we getting out of bed and how are we making the planet a better planet with our organization, you put those things in place, people stick around. Yep. You feel you're part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. That's it. That's it. You'll that's stick it. Around. And, and that's what's been so, so mind-numbing and so soul-draining is that people of our generation and older 
went to work, got a job, found a job with a pension, stayed there, and they stayed for the pension. But they sold their soul to get it. Yeah, they never right. felt like they were part of anything bigger. Right. Now, millennials are not willing to do that. Even, and the truth is, Generation X's and baby boomers who are left are so excited about the idea of working for something I'm actually passionate about. See, we've got this idea that millennials are entitled brats. Mm. It's a very common idea about them. Well, if that's true, how come they're the generation that donates more of their time than any other generation? They volunteer more of their time. They collaborate on things that they get no pay for. Yep. Why? Because they're purpose-driven. Yeah. It's not that they're entitled. They, they just don't look at things the way we do. Yeah, one of the, I love that you said that. One of the blessings of having this podcast, it certainly shifted my mind shift because I, I was at a point where it's just because I was tapped into the tra- traditional information gathering that, you know, a middle-aged mm-hmm. guy, a 45-year-old guy would get, right? And it just drags your ass down, right? It gets you mm-hmm. depressed. And once I started doing this show and connecting with like-minded folks, high performers, high creatives, and particularly the millennial side, my attitude totally shifted. I am completely optimistic when I see some of these folks there because you're absolutely right. It's different than when I looked at entrepreneurship in the 80s where it was so ego-driven and self-centric. They are people, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves that gives back. And I'm not talking about kumbaya stuff, you know, in the sense. I'm talking about real, authentic, positive change. There's some people making some dents in the universe that nobody knows about, you know, that you never hear about. And I think it's just fantastic. I'm so with you. I'm 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 inspired by I'm inspired by millennials. People say I'm very disappointed. I'm totally inspired by them. I think that they're gonna change change the game. I agree with you hundred percent. I I mean I I have to be optimistic about it because it's just you look around and it does seem like things are teetering out of control. I don't know if they are or not. I mean I suppose that many times throughout the history of the millennia that seems like the world's you know been upside down and it does. Well, I think that things are teetering out of control, but let's just stop from it and go, okay, well who's leading that? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you who's leading it. Baby boomers are leading it. Yeah. Right? And you know, you know what's really sad about it? And I write about it in the book. What's really sad about it is like I'm at the very youngest end of the baby boomers. But at the oldest end of the baby boomers, guess what? They were hippies. <laughs> right. They right. were the people who were not going to work for the men. They were the ones who were going to change the planet. But they sucked and they gave up on their, they gave up on their truth. Mm-hmm. And they sold out and they sold their souls. And it's really sad because as a result, we live in a world that is constantly at war. The U.S. is constantly involved in wars, not one but multiple. Mm -hmm. Come on. There's something wrong with that. The Middle East is a shit show. That's a, you know, all this is leaders at that age group. You know, I'll give you a great example of this. And this is why people are just so in the freaking dark. And it frustrates me. There's a big stink about the Iran deal right now that Obama just put the Iran deal together. You idiots, shut up and actually pay attention because you've, what you've got is you've got baby boomers at the top of the U.S. and you've got baby boomers at the top of Iran, the Ayatollahs, okay? Right. Now, is the Ayatollah a crazy bastard? Sure, I'll give you that, absolutely. Now, let me do this to you. Go out and meet people who call themselves, quote, Persians, they don't call themselves Iranian. They usually call themselves Persians. And particularly speak to the ones who are younger. They don't have any of those beliefs. They don't have any of those feelings. And in fact, if you do alternative news searches and you see what happened in Iran when the announcement came of the agreement, you'll see young people in the streets celebrating. They're ex- excited. They're modernly dressed. Tehran is a modern city. 
They're modernly dressed. They're very happy. They're excited to, to actually make friends with America. They don't hate America. This is a stupid Fox News garbage shoved down people's throats instead of paying attention to the people. So, yes, the leaders are crazy ass. I give you that. And that's why you have to do a diplomacy process, which is what's been happening. But you have to look to the next generation. And the next generation, those, those Iranians who live there, they don't want that. Those young people would never want that. They want peace. They, they, they want to wear coach handbags. They want, they want, they want, they want economies. They, you know, they're celebrating. They want a nice car. They want to live a life that's not much different than ours. And they're entitled to a different religion. Sure, whatever's you, whatever lights your candle. But get it that you, you're looking at superficial level of the leadership instead of understanding that below that is the next generation of leaders. And these people don't want war. They're not interested in war. They're not going to blow Israel out of, the, out, out, of the, out of the Middle East. They're not going to shoot rockets at, at U.S. They don't care about that stuff. They want to actually have a good time. And they, when you interview them, because I've seen these interviews, and they go into the street and just interview Iranian people, go, we don't dislike America. We think America hates us, but we don't dislike America. We got nothing against America. Yeah, I saw one time there. There is a large uh, entrepreneurial underclass, millennial underclass, underclass in the in the Tehran, and uh, absolutely. Seen some of it. And you know, it is a shame that we don't um, celebrate and support that. You don't hear much about that. You know what I mean? Well, no, because it's a one-sided thing, and it's you know, this is the the narrowness of the media. This is what people have got to pay attention to. As leaders, we have a responsibility to look below the surface. If you're a leader looking at the surface and making statements about the surface, then you are not a leader. And I'm sorry, you may have the title, but you're not a leader. Right. A leader is somebody who, who is, actually understands that you're, you have a responsibility to influence, and you have to look under the surface. And under the surface is the real people. Find out what drives them. Find out what it is that they care about. Connect with that. And then we're talking about the emotional bond again. They don't want this crazy stuff. No, you know, and I think it's it, that's what's so frustrating to me is like nothing seems real anymore. You never know what what you're getting. You can find the truth. I mean, on one hand, it's there more than ever. You can find the truth if you if you if you authentically and honestly pursue it. And um, but you got to be careful not to look for the evidence you you want to find. Exactly right, right. You can so you've got to get off NBC. You've got to get off CBS. You've got to get off Fox News. You've got to even get off CNN. Even even the BBC. You've got to go to alternative sources mm -hmm. and look for those people who are willing to show you. And there's some phenomenal journalists out there who are not part of those things. Who will yeah. who will who will actually let you know what's really going on. You know, Cheryl Atkinson I had on the show, I don't know if you're familiar with her, she talked about that on the show, and, you know, she left CBS because she said there's no place for politically agnostic journalists to go anymore. There's no there's no holding ground for them because it's all like, you know, she tries to get true, authentic, and not just her, but she listed a whole bunch of yeah. of names, people that we would recognize, and she said there's no place for us to go, and we try to get these amazing stories to tell the truth, and all the, what they want to do is... is tell stories about the weather you watch any news right now they're going to lead with the weather like it's hot in the summertime and oh my god there's a snowstorm in the wintertime like that's news right like who cares about that you know yeah and it's because you got so many people so much money funneling in that's preventing or no one having the, the courage of the balls to put real authentic stories out there I don't but, know. but again, this is this is about authenticity and vulnerability, and we're back at the same subject because people, you know, it takes courage to do these things. Yeah, courage. And it's mm -hmm. easier to stay the same. It's easier to play it safe and just go along with, and that's very sad. It's yeah. very sad. Man, I could talk to you forever, Dov. And this has just been so much fun for me. Where can people connect with you and find? I'll have links to all this on the post. But how can people find? Thank you. you? 
Um, well, you can. The main site for my for my for my company is fullmontyleadership.com. So that's F U L L M as in mother, O N as in Norman, T Y, fullmontyleadership.com. There you can find out about everything that I do. You can find out about. Um, the keynotes that I give, the trainings that we do, and even hiring me as a mentor. There you can also find out about my podcast, um, Leadership and Loyalty Tips for Executives. We're number one in Fortune 500, number one in human resources uh, on iTunes, so it's pretty great. And we're always in the top five, sometimes slipped in the top ten on leadership, so that's pretty great. Find out about that there, YouTube channel, all the usual places, LinkedIn, Twitter. And, of course, you can just reach out to me through those sources. I'll give you my email if you want to reach out to me personally. It's dov at dovbaron.com. So dov at dovbaron.com. Um, if you don't hear back from me immediately, reach out to me through one of these social media sources. Um, email tends to be a little bit slower, but I'm, I'm there. If you want to reach out to me and if you are courageous and you want to take your company, your organization, your personal leadership to another level. Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you a conversation I had with somebody the other week. Somebody said, I sent this person to you, but you kind of intimidated them. And I said, hmm. And they go, why do you think you intimidated them? I go, I know why. And they go, why? I said, I represent change. It's intimidating. Your ego wants things to say the same. Yeah. You say I want change, but when I present you with what will have to change, well, I think it's my friend who has to change, or my boss, or my, my employee, or, or my wife, or my husband. No, no. I represent change. If you are ready, if you understand, if you feel the fire on your ass, and you want to move towards the vision, I'm your guy. And, I, and no one will fight harder for you than I will. But you got to step up. And when, we, when I come into companies, it changes everything. Like the companies we work with, regularly, 500%, 500% growth. It's amazing. Awesome. So exciting. He's one of the good ones out there, folks. I highly recommend you check out all this stuff. Check out his podcast. You know the drill. Subscribe to it. Leave a rating and review. It helps so much for the algorithm to keep him up in that top and front and center space and do all you can. I encourage all my listeners to do that if you haven't checked him out already. Dove, hang on the line a little bit. When we'll stop the recording. Hang on. We'll talk a little bit more. My guys, thanks for coming on the show. What an honor and a privilege to, to speak with you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, mate. It's been a real honor. And again, thank you. To those of you who are listening, watching, because I appreciate you giving your time. We all know the number one challenge uh, that most bosses are finding is engagement. So I appreciate your time, but more I appreciate your engagement that you actually focused and were present. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Doc. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.